0: If you have championship DNA, then you know it's time to
1: chase wins. We're uh, chasing wins this year. This is Chasing Wins. Welcome to the Chasing Wins podcast. I'm your host, Andre, joined by my guy, Jim. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure to turn on that auto-download feature to get all of our episodes as soon as they drop. So, the season ended, Um, we lost to the Lakers in six, that game six was a tough game, Uh, we could go game by game exactly what happened, but uh, it's better to kind of overarching, or provide an overarching uh, summary of what went wrong this season overall. And there's a couple categories we want to get into, Um, roster construction, Um, players, and then um, just overall uh, coaching as well. So we're going to kind of get into those. But um, Jim, from a roster construction standpoint, uh, what do you feel went wrong? What were things that you felt uh, need to be corrected for next year? And what did you feel we lacked um, and could have improved on going into this season to give us a better chance to to win a championship?
0: Mm, that's a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, there is so much to go over. Um, there's so much that I've <laughs> said throughout the oh, Sorry, uh, um, sorry about that. Um, good. So yeah, I mean, there's there's been so much that that has happened since the beginning of. Uh, well, since the finals ended last year, right? Everybody was on an, on their high horses and everybody's like, "Oh, I got my fourth ring now," like or you know, the kids are like, "Oh, I got my championship now." You know, a kid like Jordan Poole, we heard things about, you know, uh, where his head is. And how everybody was just very in a way like just cocky, uh, you know, the front office thinking like, Oh, we won a championship with the two timeline plan. Um, it worked. We're geniuses. Uh and saying like, you know, we can continue to go forward with this because we won doing exactly that. And that's just it's so dishonest because the warriors uh, had a short rotation in the, in the finals and most teams usually do, right? But it you were highly highly dependent on those pieces. You know, the Warriors didn't really have uh, injury problems in the finals. Uh, everybody kind of came back, right? Otto had foot issues, but at the end of it, he was available. Gary Payton uh, broke his elbow uh, in the second round, uh, and yet he would somehow make a, a, a return. Steph Curry got hurt, hurt but they were more scarce than anything. Um, Draymond was available. Clay was available. Everybody important was available, right? Yep. Um no, they uh, We had no
1: injuries.
0: Healthy. Yep. Yep. Right. Um. And but ultimately in the off season they lost Gary Payton, and that's because they they were w- refusing to get off of any of the kids, including James Wiseman, who they won a championship without. By the way, he was not even present with the team like the whole year last year. Uh, so I mean that should have been a tell right there. He eats up ten million dollars of their salary. You just won a championship with Gary Payton, who proved himself to be an indispensable piece. And the front office decided almost right away after the season ended that they're not going to hold on to GP2. You know, they barely held on to Looney uh, and then they let go of GP2 and Otto. Otto, you kind of suspected that you might lose because, you know, maybe he wanted a payday and wanted to go somewhere else. Maybe this was a one year rental stay for him, uh, whatever the case may be. Uh, in my personal opinion, if you have veteran pieces that you picked up that just helped you win a championship, you make sure you keep those pieces. You don't you don't sacrifice or compromise that for anything, such as like the future. I mean, that's uh, it's just a preposterous plan. What is the future? How old is Steph Curry now? When is he gonna start slowing down? These are answers that we don't have. These are questions that we don't have answers to. And the team acted like they did somehow, some way, for some reason, right? Jordan Poole, uh, the next guy coming up once one of these guys starts to slow down. Uh, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson. And it's like, when is that going to be? We just don't know. So there's no clear cut answer in terms of how long will Jordan Poole have to wait until he becomes worth the money that they're actually, they already paid him. Mm -hmm uh going into next year uh how long can a guy like kuminga wait uh knowing that there's a guy like wiggins in front of him in his position um and that he's not going to be starting a- any year soon right and this guy clearly wants an opportunity to play he he gave a stern warning uh through the media about what his role needs to be going forward right and it's like <laughs> Well, how sure are you that Steve Kerr is going to be down with that program come next year? Because this year, Kaminga didn't get a minute uh, after the first game, you know, uh, as far as a role in this in the playoffs. And that was obviously a huge factor because the Warriors didn't have a legit power forward coming off their bench. Jamichael Green proved to be effective for a single game uh, against the Lakers. And who else is there? Anthony Lamb, who they played all year long uh, without Mo- uh, and letting Moody sit, kind of, you know, giving him no role. Everything was just a mess uh, throughout the course of the regular season from that in terms of who plays that power forward position that Otto played or even the little bit of minutes that uh, a guy like uh, Bielisa gave. And the Warriors just, the roster construction was just messed up, right? And mm-hmm. and so I would say, yes, the, the, the biggest problem coming into this season was the front office and their lack of kind of bolstering uh, the roster after they won a championship. Because championships are incredibly hard to win. As a front office, you're supposed to try to maximize your team as much as possible. And they just didn't do that. They weren't willing to give up anybody. They had five kits on the roster. And Dre, you know, throughout the course of the season, um, that I said that they need to get rid of this plan. Because it's not going to work. It's going to fail. You're going to have dead roster spots. Kuminga ended up being a dead roster spot. Obviously, they fixed uh, the Wiseman situation by tr- uh, trading him to get GP2 back on the roster. At least they got that part right. Because... Right? Once GP2 was on the roster, it gave me great hope that the Warriors had enough pieces to win this year, even with all the blunders. So, so yeah, the front office was a, a major factor in messing up the season.
1: Yeah. Um, I would argue roster construction was probably the most damaging factor of how and why this season ended the way it did. Um. Starting with the fact that ownership, right, d- decided to double down on the two the two timelines philosophy, and that was a concept not that they had been proven right last season, but rather they had gotten away with it, and we had won despite uh, that the implementation of that concept, um, where you want to in in, in essence weave in younger players who are in their first and second seasons and attempt to integrate them in a championship context, which had never been done before, never been truly attempted in a meaningful way. Um, and it was bold. It was ambitious, but it was also oh. reckless and greedy, greedy. And starting with that, um, it led to multiple roster spots that were dead down the roster, starting with Ryan Rollins, Patrick Baldwin Jr. Um, and then you kind of go down the list, you look at a guy like Andre Iguodala, look at guys, you know, up and down, and you see that three, four, five roster spots that we could have used for legit pieces that could have contributed to a championship ended up being used on younger players who were never going to play a significant role on this team or older players who we had no choice but to sign because we decided to wait so long in free agency and approach it so as the better players were already, you know, no longer available. And that's kind of been the strategy of the last three years in free agency is to kind of let free agency kind of run its course dry out and then whoever's left can hopefully sign on a bargain um
0: Dre, i just want to talk about kind yeah. of the laziness of this front office over the years <laughs> yeah. i'm so fucking tired of their laziness they don't do their jobs man you and i scour the like the you know free agency Right. And the players that are available throughout the course of, like, through going into the trade deadline, like yeah. I was bringing up a guy like Thaddeus Young, uh, we were thinking of all kinds. We, we of put play in our scenarios. due diligence.
1: We put in our due diligence. We put in our our efforts and our time, and we we like you said, we scour the 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 lists. We look at fit. We watch the film. We look at the numbers, uh, and we try to contextualize how each player would fit in the context of a winning team like the Warriors.
0: Yeah. And how many times, even going into the buyout, did I desperately call for that elusive power forward guy? So, uh, so that number one, you don't go too small, which the Warriors kept doing, by the way, which Steve Kerr kept doing, by the way, because that shit don't work.
1: So, so like you said, I, I want to get to that. So, the second part of roster construction. Um, so the first like we mentioned they doubled down on the two con two, two uh the two timelines concept which handicapped the flexibility and the versatility of this team and the coaching, second thing the was uh that we loaded up on too many guards so like you said having guys like Jordan Poole Dante DiVincenzo um off the bench as your first two options and you know, obviously Moses Moody, who, while he is, you know, a longer two guard from a from a frame standpoint, right. He still is a guard. He's not necessarily a forward. Um, so we kind of had guys who are six, 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 seven or smaller off the bench. And those were our first three players that were reliable. Jermichael Green wasn't reliable enough to get consistent burn. And he was six, eight, six, nine. Um, And after him, I mean, we kind of ran out of options. We really didn't have many players that we could rely on to give us meaningful minutes at any position. Uh, Dante had an up-and-down playoff run. I thought he had a couple good games, but by and large, he wasn't necessarily what what we expected, especially given his regular season standard. Jordan Poole was a complete disaster on both ends. And we'll get to the players individually, but... But the main point here is that because we loaded up on so many guards, it limited our versatility and the players we were able to, to, to play overall and the lineups and combinations we were able to employ, which ultimately handicapped the versatility of this team. And Jonathan Kaminga is a guy who you, you would think that you know, at 6'8", a wing who you know, who's 230, 240 pounds, you could put him out there on a LeBron on a you know Malik Monk maybe for stretches you know in back to back series and f- have him find his rhythm defensively and he while he did have a poor 5 minute stretch against Aaron Fox in the second quarter of game four he didn't see any playing time after that moment for the rest of the playoffs and again while i understand Steve Kerr's trying to make a point of he demands and expects this a level of urgency and high-level play in the playoffs, a lack of mistakes. We also have to understand that you have a guy on the bench who can still contribute. And while you want to make a point of correcting those errors, you also cannot punish him to the point where he's rendered useless and essentially rotting on the bench when he could be contributing in some capacity to help win us these games. Um, Like you said, Dante, uh, Moses Moody, at times, while they did provide good spark at times they weren't necessarily sufficient as defenders and as guys who could provide some size so the roster construction up and down the roster was so limited and given the youth movement the it it, it actually caused in a ripple effect um and then that leads to my next point too many guards doubling down on the two co- two timelines concept and then the lack of front court options that we could uh, roll out there. You look at a guy like Jermichael Green, who is really the only guy that we could play off the bench in that front court spot, um, or that Steve Kerr was willing to. And then you look at our other three starters at, with Wiggins, Draymond, and Looney. There's not a lot of scoring punch or a lot of a lot of spacing with those players. So you see that when you enroll, when you roll out these guys you are handicapping the spacing with which Steph Curry and Jordan Poole operate, right? Jordan Poole doesn't have a lot of space to operate with Draymond Green and Kevon Looney on the floor. Neither does Steph Curry. Teams leave Andrew Wiggins wide open. They dare him to make shots. They treat him like Harrison Barnes. And while he isn't Harrison Barnes, he can knock down shots and be an offensive threat, especially at the rim. He still is limited and he's not necessarily a guy who you, you can count on to give you 20 plus points on a nightly basis in the playoffs. He'll give you around 14 to 18, and that's all we need from him because he provides value defensively. But again, limited front court options and losing Otto Porter, a guy who can rebound at a high level reliably and knock down an open shot because of his respect that he commands as a spacer at 37% from three last season and 40% for his career, 44% in the corners. A guy like Otto Porter demands a level of respect and conscious uh, conscious respect from defenders so you're not going to cheat you're not going to cheat off of him you're not going to you know against the lakers you can put up, put out an auto porter instead of draymond at times and you can force anthony davis to have to stay home if not make him pay on the perimeter consistently unlike jermichael green who was a one game wonder in game 2 but never saw floor time again so again we'll get into that but la- lack of front court options and versatility was a major issue and that was as a result of loading up on too many guards and ultimately doubling down on the two timelines plan. And a, a symptom of this was again, the dead roster spots, which with which we did not have enough flexibility or options to go to look at what the Lakers had Lonnie Walker, guys like Dennis Schroeder, guys like Rui Hachimura off the bench, multiple bodies, multiple players who you can go to. If one player struggling like a D'Angelo Russell, if Jared Vanderbilt is struggling, you can go to a a power punch scorer like Rui Hachimura. You can go to a Lonnie Walker, if you know, in the fourth quarter of a game four and have him score 15 points and outscore Clay Thompson by himself in one quarter because they have talented players up and down the roster that they traded for and acquired, and they had a well-rounded roster overall. So the roster construction was heavily flawed, and Going into next season, I think the number one priority is to acquire a front court scoring player who can space out the floor reliably and rebound the basketball. A couple names, and we can get into this down the road, but guys that I would float out there are like Torrey Craig or Trey Lyles from free agency standpoint. And then from a trade standpoint, I would love to have a guy like Pascal Siakam or O.G. Ananobi, who we were interested in the trade deadline, guys who can defend and rebound at a high level but more importantly, space out and command respect from the defense as scoring threats and offensive weapons in the mid-range or at the three-point line, and guys who can possibly also provide rim pressure. Um, This is what we're missing. Draymond Green doesn't provide that. Kevon Looney doesn't provide that. Jermichael Green doesn't provide that. These are guys that are more uh, defensive-leaning, defensive-minded, and they don't necessarily, while Looney is an elite rebounder, um, you want guys who can focus and key in on those things and Draymond as great a defender as he is he is slipping he's 33 years old and teams do not respect his ability to score so they cheat off of him and essentially he becomes a liability on offense and his passes become telegraphed you you limit the abilities and the actions you can run with him you can't run pick and pops running pick and rolls are difficult because he's not a scoring threat at the rim so you see these issues and if you have a wing or a, or a front court player out there who can be a threat like an Otto Porter replacement, um, it really allows your offense and eventually your defense, if the player is competent, uh, to be able to to flourish. So, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, again, I think the front office has a a laziness problem. Number one, number two, they seem to have trouble identifying when players are like you. You need to have a trained eye for whether a player is going to be viable come playoff time, right? And if you've listened to me this entire season, what have I said about Jermichael Green from day one?
1: You you have said that Jermichael Green cannot be trusted as a 16-game player in playoff minutes and moments because he he there are certain things he does on the court that could be detrimental um, and he's not necessarily reliable or consistent enough with what he does well,
0: yeah. So, number one, he's not a defender, and you can't have non defender, non defensive, reliable guys that are at the uh front court positions, let alone a backup center, uh, or whatever position that he tried to play. I, I you know, obviously, he became an exclusive uh backup center, right? Um, but if you can't defend, you're not reliable and you're not going to be usable. And I saw that within like the first couple of weeks. So how do you watch him for an entire fucking season and do nothing about it? Like, how did you not reply? How did you not have any urgency to like, say by the deadline, okay, this is not good enough. Well, Anthony lamb, like that's not good enough. You know, these are things that I was able to identify like very early on. And if that's the case, you got to assume to some level, the front office must know this too, right? If they don't know it, then they're a bunch of buffoons. They don't know <laughs> what they're watching yeah. and they don't know how to roster construct. And they have no sense of urgency in terms of, okay, uh, this is not going to work and that's not going to work. And that's not good enough going into the playoffs. So if there's something on the table, that's why when OG was on the table as they were reporting Shams and all these guys at the deadline were reporting that the Warriors were starting to become a front runner to get OG. Uh, And then you hear this report like, Oh, but they wanted Kuminga. So we said, no, it's like, what (laughs) Like, are you out of your mind? Like,
1: and then, and then in the playoffs, we ended up, we ended up not even playing Kuminga. A single second after game four of the first round
0: exactly and you know what i'm not going to i'm not going to say like i knew that all along necessarily but there's there is one thing that i knew and there is that one thing that i was certain would be an issue you know throughout the course of the season which is that kuminga at the end of the day he's he's only 20 years old um he has these fundamental issues that he needs to iron out and it's going to take years and it's not going to take, you know, a year. Basically, if you, if you come into the league with fundamental flaws, that those things don't just go away. Those things come with great experience. uh, Just going through it over and over and over again uh, to understand how to deal with those things. Like in terms of him dealing with a big, a four or a five, he's still not used to those scenarios. He's, He's like a small weight. He's like, you know how they say, you know how they call a relatively uh, small ish power forward who tries to play center, but they're not quite big enough to play center. You call those tweeners. Okay. He is a tweener, even covering as a power forward. He's a small forward who, like, power forward really is not his thing. Most, most guys have these defined positional roles in the nba and kuminga has proven for a second straight year that he has problems at power forward that's why he can never kind of just um get himself ahead of lamb at power forward you see Uh, if because if he could do it then lamb wouldn't have been um in the rotation they would have just used kuminga because he would have been a good option could he actually play power forward
1: so speaking of lamb right um Steve Kerr played anth- a lot of Anthony Lamb this year. Um, in terms of coaching, like, what did you see um, from a positive or negative standpoint? And I know you're going to probably uh, list off a lot of the negatives, but um, f- what, what did you see this season that you thought was or should be corrected for next year spe- specifically?
0: So uh, before we get to that, there's one guy that I do want to mention. And that's uh PBJ. Uh, mm-hmm. That's another guy that I kind of harped on throughout the course of the season. You did. You did. He is a better option than Jamichael Green. green. Uh, you want to, you want to talk about cones on defense. Um, I guess, you know, PBJ being as young as he is and kind of not being very quick on his feet out in the perimeter, especially, right. We've seen a lot of kind of speedier guys just kind of blow by him in the regular season, a little bit at times. So, is that problematic? Obviously, that's problematic. Right. I, but I would say a lot of guys that play, you know, those big guy minutes, uh, they 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 struggle out in the perimeter. That's that's no different. Even if you're AD, um, but it, it's to it's to give the guy experience that you want. I mean, you don't want to give five different twenty year olds experience necessarily, in on a on a championship caliber team but at the end of the day you drafted him he's cheap and it turns out that he's a sniper right the guy is he's probably he's mm, by far the best shooter as a big man that they had on this roster put it that way all right so sure, Michael Green uh, was pretty decent at shooting but Patrick Baldwin Jr. is a guy that like the defense has to pay attention to you can't just leave that guy you know what I'm saying? You don't leave snipers wide open if you can help it. Um, look at what look at what Mike Brown did with the Kings, with Keegan Murray, uh, who was, you know, I guess you can call him a sniper, right? As part of the reason why he was on the floor. And he um, was impactful for them, right? Even though he was just a kid, right? So if a player shows you a definitive ability and skill, you have to be able to utilize that in some way. And... Obviously, Kerr didn't even think to do that, even though he, again, PVJ by far was his best shooter, right? So, you know, things like that are a problem. You have to be able to identify what's on your roster and you have to be able to f- uh, find a way to figure out how to best to use that roster. Uh, so Kuminga, you know, he as flawed as he is from a defensive standpoint, you know, um, he showed that he's capable of playing really good perimeter defense. Um, and given that he is one of the most, uh, he, he's one of the bigger guys that is able to do that on the team should have been able to find a way to use him better than let's say Dante or, or um, what's it pool where you end up going tiny and relying on just guys that can't, uh, in pools case is a joke on defense. He, he had to be pulled. Uh, from the series because he was failing them on both ends of the floor. There's no reason, good reason to play him. Uh, In that case, you have to have a versatile mind and be able to make adjustments uh, with the roster that you have, understanding uh, what talents they have, what strengths they have, uh, consider their weaknesses, but ultimately find a way to maximize that strength that they carry with them. Um, And that's what a good coach would do. And Steve Kerr proved himself to be, uh, beyond rigid. The guy is unadjustable, like just a complete and utter unwillingness to play Kuminga or even lamb to get away from the four guards and stabilize their defense. You talk about like, you know, the lack of balance when you play too many guards. Right. But as yeah, that's absolutely true. But the more important factor is that you compromise your defense by playing too many guards. You don't have a guard playing power forward. You had Moody trying to play power forward and guard LeBron James. Like these are stretches that you cannot have. And those are stretches that Moody did not have any success in. So if you see that, and if you see that the team is bleeding points, well, you're supposed to make an adjustment. Of course, Steve Kerr never made those adjustments. And, Obviously, the biggest thing with Steve Kerr that uh, I've been harping on all season long, and there's so many problems with him, but the first and the biggest problem that he has is his ideology of staying away from the pick and roll because he doesn't like that action. He thinks it leaves too many guys out and it gets guys cold. And he has like this little philosophy about like how he wants the game to be played. He romanticizes uh, what the game of basketball should be or how it should look like, right? And the problem with that, that's that's cute and all, but the problem with that is that's not what's conducive to winning because, number one, uh, the style that achieves what he wants achieved on the floor is the motion. And we all know that the motion is really easy to stop in the playoffs. It doesn't work. Even Kevin Durant, when he was with the Warriors, you know, told the reporters there are limits to the motion when uh, once you get to the playoffs, you can't run this to the ground, it's not going to work. He literally said that. Um, Steph Curry has said over and over again, uh, throughout the years that pick and roll is their bread and butter, right? But, <clears throat> and I, I don't know if I don't know if you were paying attention, uh, in those KD years, um, you know, mm-hmm. to the media and stuff like this, but. Kerr and Curry used to go kind of go back and forth with the media about the whole pick and roll thing. Just because Curry refused to run it even then. You know, you run a pick and roll with him and KD in in the playoffs. I mean, we saw what happened in the finals. KD was the roller, he's playing two on one. What are you gonna do in that situation? That is the ideal situation, right? Where you have an elite scorer, just, you know, take the wide open shot, and no matter where he shoots it from, it's going to be a great shot because he's wide open, right? Mm-hmm. Or yep. he's driving to the basket, of either creating an easy bucket for somebody. Usually he just drove and got his own layup or dunk, right? Because he's able to do that. So uh, you have to go, you have to have a mind where ultimately there, you know that there are different styles of play uh, it, when it comes to the game of basketball. It's a matter of which one are you going to use? Uh, that gives your team the best chance and opportunity to win. Is this about you and what you care about, or is this at the end of the day what's best for the team? And what's gonna what like what are the pieces that you have that are most effective uh, in what determining what you're gonna use? And in terms of Stephen Curry, we know that he's the greatest pick and roll player ever of all time. There's not another player that comes close to that. Uh, when it comes to executing the pick and roll uh, in the playoffs because of what he's able to do, he's able to bring up the big guys of the other team. And that essentially compromises the structure and the core of what the other team wants to do, you know, mm-hmm. uh, having a big guy in the, in the paint and protecting that rim area and controlling it. You know, that's a, that's always been the name of the game when it comes to the playoffs and being able to do that. And Steph Curry being able to get those bigs away uh, from the paint. That has been the biggest key of all to all the championships that the Warriors have won. And it seems to me as though Steve Kerr doesn't really realize that. You know, the first one they did that uh, by uh, Nick Uren's idea, by going small and having Draymond play center. None of these were Steve Kerr's idea. The problem with this is... That Steve Kerr somehow, some way, never retains the information that he gains from any series or any year, right? And just defaults. He always defaults back to what he knows, which is the motion. Um, and we saw that in 2016, Dre. You know, he went back to that and he went back to very casual lineups and rotations in game seven, playing easily, playing Varajao, and uh, playing them despite. Especially Ezili, he's just like, he's scared out of his mind. The guy couldn't even catch an open pass uh, right under the rim just because of the nerves. You know how it goes when your psyche is not right, when you're nervous, when you know what I'm saying? Like when your energy is not right. Izili was a young fellow at the time too. So you could see that he wasn't ready for that moment and Kurt just kept going to him anyway. You have to be able to read and identify those things, number one. Number two... You saw literally the year before to the championship was, um, you know, going smaller and having Draymond at at center and doing these things uh, that help your team win. So why did you go away from that in, in 2016? You know, that you you watched it happen, but failed to recognize that that's what got you the championship, you know, so he didn't make those proper moves. And it cost the Warriors a championship that year, you know, in his second year. Should have been a red flag, it was a red flag for me, but then they went and got KD. And you know, this is my new uh new bio now. My left nut could have won the two championships that Steve Kerr won once KD came on board. Any motherfucker, any coach you could think of would have won a championship, you know, with those guys, all time talent, you know, t- top five talent ever. Uh, top five defensive player ever, top five shooter ever, you know, top five scorer. You had, like, comical pieces. And then you still had guys like Andre Iguodala. You know what I'm saying? It's just like you had, like, David West. You had so many good pieces. And it's just like, oh, he won those championships. it's like, bro, like, give me a break, right? And And then KD leaves and Kerr... I feel like Mike Brown just had such a huge hand in helping kind of Kerr navigate through these playoffs, right, Uh, against the Grizzlies. Against the Grizzlies, Steve Kerr wasn't even there last year. Mike Brown had to finish that series off the final three games, right? So that just goes to show you that Mike Brown could have replaced and done, done uh, done a better job all along because he knows exactly what to do. He knows the effectiveness of the pick and roll. He did it against the Warriors in the first round. He damn near uh, did beat the Warriors and should have beat the Warriors. He ran circles around Steve Kerr and his stupid motion offense that cost them, you know, game six also. Um, Before obviously going away from it completely and Steph, Steph Curry just putting his foot down and being like, you know, like, I'm going to put the onus on me. I'm not going to put the onus on this system. I'm not going to put the onus on these lesser, uh, my lesser teammates. Uh, I'm going to decide what's going to happen in this game. And that just didn't happen enough against the Lakers. I think Steve Kerr had too much control. I think he went too far away from the things that were working. We all knew going into the series that you needed to get AD out of the paint. This became national news and attention, it got national attention. You got people writing articles saying that Steve Kerr is blowing games, like he's throwing games away. And when you have a coach that is so bad that you can actually say that this guy is intentionally throwing these games because he doesn't want to play this system. He's stubborn. He's so stubborn and stuck in his ways and the way that he, in the way that he wants to play that he wants to avoid it at all cost unless he's like truly desperate that's why he once he wins and gets comfortable he defaults back to that system right um so let's talk about let's list out the things the the problems that we have with Steve Kerr number 1 he's against the play style um that brings the most out of his best player who happens to be a goat at the very least, he's uh, a Warriors franchise goat. Like, there's nobody better than him—not even close. And then there's obviously always and constantly talks about whether he belongs in whether he belongs in the top ten of all time. And if you're in these kinds of discussions, you don't you don't put like a limitation on what that level of player um, is capable of being constantly having him off the ball and all these things right uh, so
1: no yeah. you're exactly right and and i think like you said putting the ball in steph's hands should be the number one priority year in year out finding ways to get him in rhythm and him maximized i think most of the seasons are spent on having you know clay wiggins Poole, draymond all these ancillary pieces the the that his teammates kind of trying to fit in and get going. But um, Steph always is sacrificing and taking a step back for the betterment of the others to get going. And part of that has to do with, or almost all of it, has to do with Steve Kerr's philosophy. Um, the motion offense prioritizes Steph's teammates, not Steph. Now, Steph weaponizes his ability to play off the ball to ultimately Help himself and his teammates. Like playing off the ball is a big part of Steph's game. He's developed that over the years. The relocation stuff, the dribble handoffs, the curls, all the all the basics. Um, but alt and the back doors when he's top locked, like all the counters he's he's developed. The problem is is that he he doesn't necessarily go to the off ball stuff for himself all the time. Most of the time the the off ball movement and motion and the concepts are to be able to open up for others and to get others going. Like they use Steph as a decoy or they use Steph as a screener or they use Steph, you know, as a spacer. And
0: That's the worst one right there. uh, Yeah, yeah.
1: no, it is because there were times these playoffs where I would watch Jordan Poole have the ball in his hands and Steph would be sitting in the corner or on the wing. And these are valuable minutes with Steph Curry on the court and Jordan Poole is the one taking the shot or making the play. Like, that's inherently a less efficient possession when it's not Steph Curry with the ball in his hands. Now, obviously, you don't want to run it into the ground. You still want to include ancillary uh sets and 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 actions to be able to incorporate other players but it especially come playoff time there's no there's no you know room to mess around you need to get the ball in steph curry's hands you saw what happened in game one against the lakers steph really didn't have a good couple quarters fourth quarter comes around he's just all hands on deck firing on all cylinders and it's a tie game. They they cut a 14-point lead into to zero. It was a tie game. It was The Lakers were up by 14 points with three and a half minutes to go or four minutes to go, something like that. And within a four-minute stretch, the Warriors cut it down to zero. They tied it up. And it was because Steph Curry had the ball in his hands and he was attacking and he was making reads and plays and being aggressive.
0: And they got all the to
1: say. Is on Steph as well. It's on Steph to also turn it up at times. We saw him. We saw him do it against the Kings in Game Seven. He is fully capable of doing it. So I think it's on Steph and it's on Steve to find a way, find a balance, whether it's Steph communicating to Steve or Steve being able to, you know, change up and update his playbook, which I don't expect to happen. Um, but ultimately, these are fundamental flaws, and I also think it enables Draymond and Clay to kind of do their thing too much. Yeah. Like Draymond, you know, having to make, made these telegraph passes um, teams know that he's teams know to play him for the pass. Draymond more often than not, is not necessarily going to be a scorer. Now in the pick and roll, he probably is more likely to score than in the motion offense In the motion offense. He's more likely to pass than score and teams will, you know, play him for the cross court skip pass or the you know coming off a curl you know making those reads like
0: Draymond
1: Draymond has become much more predictable. Clay Thompson also Steph Curry and Steve Kerr to, from a coaching standpoint have allowed Clay have enabled Clay to just
0: do what take over he wants.
1: The offense, yeah, do what he wants and be the focal point of the offense for long stretches. To where it digs us into a hole. We've seen this time and time again this season, where Clay is taking seven, eight, nine shots in a quarter. And not only a quarter, but the first quarter. And at times he's going, you know, one for nine, two for eight, you know, three
0: for three for ten. He literally did that in game six.
1: And yeah, he did it in game six, and there were times throughout these playoffs where he's done it, and even throughout the regular season. And I would I would much rather see Steph Curry step that set the tone, be aggressive from the jump and and set the pace and then others fall into line where they can fit in where they're needed as opposed to Steph getting his work when he can and then, you know, having to come back and compensate for a large deficit that we've, you know, dug ourselves into. So, it, you know, I don't know what Steve is going to do the next few seasons, but assuming that he is the coach of this team, my hope is that he updates his playbook. No, Trey, we let's discuss this. Let's, yeah. discuss this. let's
0: discuss this. Because you're talking about let's hope he does this and that. Well, this is his ninth fuck ninth fucking year with the team. He ain't well, changing shit because okay. he this is who he is. This is he he's not adaptable, number one. Number two, he doesn't seem to see or understand what wins or loses games. I think that is really obvious when you see him rolling out four guard lineups. Uh, let alone, uh, you know, three guard lineups. Like you, sh- you shouldn't even be running these three guard lineups. Where it's like Steph Curry, Jordan Poole, and Klay Thompson talked about that since late January, and he never learned, and he kept doing it going into the playoffs. Uh, do like he, he didn't have to choose to die with that that formula because he had other pieces on his roster, and he chose to go that route. He chose to go a route where you basically can't win. Right, you you're even if offensively you're you find a way, which he did not for the most part, by the way. Um, he keeps going away from what is most conducive to winning, he keeps going away from the best ways that are going to help the Warriors win games, and then again, um, you say it's it's on Steph Curry, and I'm just like, Well, all these things that we talk about. This is all on the coach. The coach is supposed to have control over like, oh, Clay's taking too many shots. Uh, oh, he's hijacking things. He's taking over. Like these are things that a coach is supposed to control. If you have no control of one of your key pieces, like what are you even so doing there?
1: What I would say to that is, is that Steph being the leader of the team, Steph being the leader of the team, he's going to have to communicate and find a way to balance that out with Steve with Clay, there has to be some like it's not that Steph is just Draymond out there or Looney out there. Like he's a guy who who or he is the guy who is supposed to find a way to calibrate these things, and he has to work with Steve. He has to work with whoever. um And I think, look, it's not on Steph to coach the team. It's not on Steph to, for Clay to make shots and, and take bad shots. But it is on Steph to communicate. And be involved in this process
0: Oh, of- you see what i'm saying dre it's shit yeah. is it should like had did anything really change even going into game six not really No, i, like, I gotta I realize
1: that game career. six i gotta put that on
0: steph though because You're putting I- game six on steph really <laughs> it's he all played play. gp2 10 minutes he <laughs> no, played no, 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 no. he played pool, saying- like 23 minutes all but I'm
1: saying they, from an from an aggressive standpoint, I think Steph's aggression. Steph emptied been, the clip. Yeah, but I thought he should have done a better instead of letting Clay take the first nine shots. It should have been Steph. I think yeah, Steph should. have... I been,
0: agree too. But if yeah. the coach is telling you to run a fucking play, how many times do you have to say no to that shit before it's like, oh man, like we're not on the same page. Like I don't agree with you. Like you got to understand. Like I think. I think the toughest thing that Curry has to juggle with is the fact that he cares about the relationships that he creates with the people that he works with. Uh, And he cares about that more than his own legacy and any outside noise in regards to, you know, uh, whether he can win and all these kinds of things. Uh, He obviously deeply cares about winning above all, but. He's willing to hide whoever he can hide uh so that he doesn't get anybody into trouble. I think the last thing he wants to do is get a guy like Steve Kerr fired, no matter what the circumstances are, because that's who he is. He's a man of God. And um he will defend anybody that is with him yeah. to the end. You know what I'm saying? Like even Mark Jackson, he was like, I don't want him fired, da da da, right? But that's why there are roles on this team and people right. who make decisions that are that are best because he's not Curry is just a guy that you know he's he's a leader and he when I say leader I don't mean just in the sense of like just you know basketball I'm gonna tell you what to do da 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 right that's not his job his job is yes his job is to lead his guys and have them believe in each other and try to f- have them find a way to become selfish the way he plays. Uh, And when they play like that, they would be unstoppable. Clay would be much better playing for his team rather than for himself and all these things, right? But you need a leader who understands and sees all these things that are happening right in front of him, be able to take control and do the right things, make the tough moves, sit down a guy if he's not performing. um, and Even if it's a guy like Clay, if he's not doing his job, boxing a guy out or whatever, like you gotta be able to call that out, uh, single him out and sit his ass down and tell and show him that there's consequences for not getting things done on the floor. Um and Steve Kerr just isn't that guy. He's 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 a nice guy. He wants to be liked by everybody it seems. Maybe except for the kids, right? And it's like if it hurts his like relationship with Clay if he has to bench him or something like this he won't do it because he's too soft and he's too close to the players in that way. it's important to be close to the players and be connected
1: let me ask you this what what next season what would you want to see differently from kerr
0: i don't think he's capable of change i think if he had another guy who was just completely elite and let him uh run things like let mike brown run things from behind the scenes i think that maybe If, if you
1: were capable of change what would you want to see differently
0: uh, he's already proven that he's not capable. Like, I don't know. I'm saying what, how many, fun, how many times what are the
1: fundamental? Like, if you were to make a list, what are the fundamental issues you have with Steve?
0: Ditch your ideologies. Ditch your selfishness. Ditch your ego. Ditch your tyrannical nature of my way or the highway. Right. Um, so these are, this is who he is as a person. So you're asking me how he would change that. I'm telling you. That is not going to change. He will live and die by his ideologies. He doesn't care what the other ways of winning are. And he doesn't know what those winning ways are. He gets ideas from the assistants, maybe, uh, if they're not running it for him themselves. And it's like, well, if that's what is required for him to be good, for him to have the most elite possible person behind him, like a guy like Mike Brown, right? Right. If that's the case, then you have to, at some point, come to an acceptance that that's not who Kerr is, and just hire the guy who is actually elite, like what they, which they should have done with Mike Brown. Just hire that guy after the 16 season, because Mike Steve Kerr blew a championship that year, right? He had a five point, he had a, uh, he had a three one lead, and he blew it. They never talk about the coach behind. Um, everybody else it's like oh doc rivers blew this and that but when it comes to steve kerr nobody ever wants to talk about the realities of that they could have just hired mike brown after that year and everything would have gone smoothly mike brown won 10 and 0 without steve kerr in the playoffs and he beat the grizzlies last year without steve kerr and it's just like how much proof do you need that they could have just done this with, done this with mike brown
1: so let me ask you this um in terms of the players, which players did you have an issue with this season? Um, who, who would you want to still see on the roster for next year? Is there anyone you want to see go? Um, like, what are your thoughts, you know, one through eight? And who who in particular did? Also, who was encouraging? You know, who is who, who going to be a guy for next season you're like, look, I can count on that guy, you know, bo- both sides of it. In terms of these guys, what do you think?
0: Um, that's that's definitely a good question. Um, I like I don't know if I'm done with Steve Kerr, man. I I, I need I want to like destroy this guy for what this guy the Warriors should be playing right now. They should have won past the Lakers. Right 100. Right?
1: And you know what? I would say this: games one and four, we're on Steve. Um, game one because they went in with a reckless like just recklessly running motion no sense of understanding that the the approach should be to to take AD out the paint and magically they figure it out in the fourth quarter like they probably should have you know been on that from the jump
0: you think steve Cur- you think you think curry doesn't know that
1: run pick and roll no yeah and i think steph probably does know that it it's there has to be better execution on both sides i don't know who I don't know who the chain of what the chain of command is necessarily. I it probably is Steve, Steve. but Steph has to voice some type of displeasure. I'm sure he does,
0: right? But he can't do it game by game. Like he literally gave a speech in Game Seven, like "Hey, put trust in me and have faith in me." And then I would say
1: Game Four, Steve did a poor job uh, in the closing lineup. You know, obviously you mentioned this not playing GP two and and instead going with Moody, even though it was a rough two minutes to start the quarter understanding that you weather that storm and that in the long haul you trust gp2's positive contributions yeah um yeah but you don't go away
0: you don't go away from your best defender with the game on the line that is that's sabotage right yeah 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 Yeah. absolutely it's Um, like it's like going away from um like if you're the lakers uh, who, who are the Lakers' best defenders? Like, Who is their best perimeter defender, would you say?
1: The Lakers' best perimeter defender is probably Vanderbilt.
0: Vanderbilt? You think so?
1: Well, I mean, it's not D'Lo. It's not—Reeves Re- is okay.
0: Yeah, Reeves is Trude- good. Schroeder is good. Schroeder's good. I guess this is a tough one, huh? It's
1: probably Vando or Schroeder. Schroeder's not bad. And and Reeves is okay, too. They don't have necessarily, like, a lockdown dude, but they're all very, very good. Like, they have multiple guys that are very good.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, which team relies heavily on, like, this is like, okay, the Knicks. They got Josh Hart, and that move single-handedly changed their, like, the entire trajectory of their season. One guy can change everything for you. Gary Payton happens to be that guy for the Warriors. And to go away from him for the entirety of uh, the fourth quarter, it's sabotage. It's not just a bad coaching decision or a bad move. It's sabotaging. You'll be taken away from your own team, your best defender.
1: So next season, so you want a guy you think you can count on. And I would hope gets, sees more playing time, especially in closing lineups in the playoffs is GP2, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So obviously, you know, there are a lot of people who want to move all the like all kinds of pieces now, right? Move away from clay and move away from Draymond and move away from everything, right? And I just think we're too. um, We're not moved far enough from what happened last year Mm. uh, to be like, blow everything up. But we know what the recipe for success from last year was, so you had just have to get back Uh, into that energy Uh and give the guys a supporting like the proper supportive uh, cast in order for them to sustain what they do uh, because everything falls apart as soon as the the bench comes in. So obviously,
1: are you in favor of, are you in favor of trading for like really solid role players or a second star?
0: So yeah, I'm not necessarily looking for a second star. I think, I think so. Let's go from top to bottom, right? You hope that Steph Curry uh, stays on this energy uh, for as long as uh, for as long as he possibly can. I think he will next year. Um, Draymond is obviously a problem, but realistically, he's not going anywhere. Uh, when you listen to the way the team talks about him, right. so they'll, they'll find a way to make a deal with him, right? The problem with him is his kind of traitorous tendencies. Uh, a lot of off-court issues with the clutch thing, the way he, you know, kind of sucks up to LeBron and sucks up to the competition, which obviously is a problem when you're going against that team in the playoffs. So I don't know. He he's a problem. He's a different kind of problem. And he threw away, uh, you know, a couple of games in my opinion going away from Steph Curry when he had the opportunity to go to him with the game on the line. I think that is kind of a, tra- a traitor's behavior. That is not okay. They need to find a way to iron that out. Um, but as far as Clay Thompson goes, he had an off season in which he didn't get to play basketball. And that was an issue. And that showed immediately. And hopefully he'll be able to put in the work this time. Now not that all the me- mental hurdles of his injuries are behind him, it seems, you know, he's not in restriction anymore in terms of playing um, back-to-back games or anything like that. So, he needs to get in playing shape going into the following season, get stronger, and uh, hopefully he comes back rejuvenated uh, on both ends of the floor because that the lack of attention to detail on defense has become a huge issue for him. So him and Pool, obviously, that combination, that's part of the reason why it was such a disaster is that they were both kind of holes on defense, right? And you have two holes on defense, your defense is broken. That's how you know your defense is broken. You have one guy that is broken defensively. That's a lot to make up for. You have two. That's not a winning formula. And that's what happened. And Steve Kerr kept going to that. So so yes, Jordan Poole has to go. His time with the Warriors is done. Like this is defined, definite. Um, just by the virtue of how much he costs and the fact that he cannot play together with these other two guards. And he,
1: and he can't play in closing lineups.
0: Yeah, you can't uh, he's not that.
1: necessarily reliable enough to even score. Like, I'm not even talking about defense. If you're a sixth man, like you, you, you don't make your money to defend. You make your money to score. And there were games in the playoffs where he didn't score like, f- like six points. Like th- there were games where he barely like got a bucket or two, and. Part of that was because he he just couldn't defend, but part of that was because he just couldn't hit shots. There was a game against the Lakers; he had zero points. He shot zero for four.
0: Yeah, he's like, scared.
1: Unplayable.
0: He's scared. And
1: I'm on. I'm on. I'm. I actually agree with you. I'm on that boat. I think I'm out on Jordan. Uh, I think he's got to go. I think we can trade him for some solid role players. Um, and I also think Kaminga not be from an ability standpoint, because I think even though he has limitations, he is not a good rebounder. Uh, He's still, you know, maybe a little bit jumper happy, and he still, you know, struggles with certain things at times. He still provides a good amount of value as a defender, and he provides some rim pressure, which is good for this team. And I think he was a positive this year, but we can't, Juggle these negatives and work around them. It's time to to acquire a solidified piece with minimum with with minimal um, weaknesses. And I'm talking about on both ends. A guy like OG Ananobi, who yeah, he can't create his own shot, but he can knock down the three ball reliably. He can uh, you know get to the rim. I mean, from as a slasher, but more importantly probably a top five defender in the NBA. When you look at, you know, like versatility and size, like you look at Draymond, Anthony Davis, Jaron Jackson, Brooke Lopez, and then it's like, OG. and Like there's really no other, I can't think like, Mar- I'm not taking Marcus Smart over OG. I'm not taking a guy like Robert Williams or you Know what I'm saying that not taking like,
0: Caruso over OG not
1: Caruso no way.
0: Do you understand? Like we, how much did we want Caruso on the OG,
1: Warriors? OG OG is a six eight dude who can guard one through five. He can guard Jokic. There were times this season he locked Jokic up. Like he he is so versatile defensively and he's so elite at that at that role. That and the three point shot, he averages eighteen a game. He can knock down the three ball at forty percent clip. So, given the fact that yeah, he has a couple weaknesses, but nothing that we can't overcome. He's a guy where you're willing to make a move for you know Kaminga and maybe some picks.
0: Yeah, if they make that move, the Warriors win this year, and they and it was on the table.
1: This isn't a pipe dream. Yeah, this was something that was discussed. Yeah, this so. Yeah. So I think when we look at that, and then you know, a couple names like a Wendell Carter Jr. and yeah, like we'll a look into Hull. that.
0: We'll look into that in another you Yeah, know, we'll look
1: this. into that another time. But yeah. but my point is is that in terms of these players and that we want to acquire, what we were what we want to give up are gonna be probably Jordan Poole and Jonathan Kaminga. Now absolutely with Moody, what are you what are your thoughts on Moody? I want to see him back next year, but obviously he may have to be in a trade just because a team may want him or for salary purposes. You like, you would agree with that, right? Like if, if he has to go, he has to go, but you're okay with seeing him next season.
0: I'm okay with seeing him next season. Uh, I think he would be the guy who replaces Dante and the rotation as a backup two, where he needs to be not, not backup three, not backup four and all this other stuff that they do. Um, find and find guys that are solidified in their positions and find guys that are minimal in terms of maintenance and guys that are you know, Moody was not a problem in the locker room whatsoever. Uh, Kuminga ended up being a problem. So uh, because he wants playing time and I don't blame him for that. He did. He does. You know, of course he wants playing time. He's, he's thinking about his career. Like it, he needs it to take off and he needs his payday and all these things. Right. So this is the thing: you yeah, get he, a player he's, he's
1: comparing himself to his peers. Like he looks at a guy like Jalen Green. He looks at a guy. Well, you
0: English yourself, and yeah, right. And those guys are on losing ass teams. So that's what Kuminga doesn't realize is, is that if those guy, if a guy like Jalen Green was on the Warriors, he wouldn't be playing. Oh no way, no way! Right. So this yeah. is the difference between being a uh, part of the win- part of a winning organization versus a losing one. And I think he cares less about that than what's best for him and what's the best route for him to get the best payday possible and the things like that i, I understand those things he's not the same as moses moody because he's a seventh pick so uh he see he, he gets paid more right and uh he feels that he he is owed something and that that, that, yep. in, and of, that in and of itself is a problem so he may, even I if he's right that,
1: right that that this idea of entitlement you look at a guy like Jordan Poole um and Klay Thompson as as your vet like this issue of entitlement has become a disease on mm. this roster mm. where players think that they should start and they sh- that they're too good to come off the bench that they deserve some a certain amount of playing time uh, a certain role, certain shot attempts with the ball in their hands, um, all of these things. And it's funny because the the guy who's the leader of the team, the best player, is the least entitled. He embodies everything it means to be unselfish and a team player and playing for one another and playing to win. And you just have all of these dudes. You saw, There's a reason he gave that speech in Game 7. Or, or before game seven, like playing the right way, playing within the flow, playing for one another, not chasing all-star appearances, not chasing stats, or, you know, having the ball in your hands and taking advantage of those situations. Understanding that you're playing within a team concept to try to win games. And I feel like that was lost this year. I really yeah, do. I, I, just, think, I, just... I think Looney... Steph, Wiggins, GP2 were the only players who actually embodied that concept. I think outside of those four guys, Draymond, no. Clay, no. Poole, definitely not. Kaminga, he tried, but at the end of the day, he he wants more playing time. He's a young guy, and we understand that. And you look at a guy like Moody. I would even throw Moody in there, too, actually, because Moody stayed ready the whole time. Moody didn't get everything he actually moody was dealt the worst hand of cards he was dealt the worst hand but he actually performed the best if you consider that if you consider you know out of all the young dudes and and out of all the circumstances moody actually came out the most built for what the playoffs demand and that is commendable and that's probably why we're both on board with him having having him next year because the those scars build character and you saw that this guy is going to be a a viable piece for years to come.
0: Yeah, and I wonder if he is going to supplant uh, Clay as a more reliable defender at the two very soon, because uh, unless Clay gets this right, man, uh, he if he's going to start becoming a hole for this team that they have to overcome. Um, and it's kind of funny, like uh, when you talk about Kuminga, um, it kind of brought me to this i remember seeing something where i think kuminga and clay are tight and i can just i had this scenario in my mind with like clay telling Kuminga, like giving kuminga advice on his career and what he should do and like it's like i don't i don't don't like that man like (laughs) because just because of clay's demeanor and how he goes about things on this team you know the guy goes rogue the guy does whatever he wants and you're just like, yeah, go get yours. You know, that kind of thing. Like, it's, it, you're setting a bad example for kids who are impar- impressionable. It's just like, well, Clay's doing that. Why not me? You know what I mean?
1: I, so, think, I think the biggest thing next season from a player standpoint is we're going to have to unload some of the kids. Right? We're going to have to unload. Yeah, 100%. R- likely and Kaminga. Um, we're going to have to.
0: Get rid of Ryan Rollins, too, if you can. Yeah,
1: Ryan Rollins. We're going to have to emphasize a more, more of a team concept on selfishness. We're really going to have to emphasize that because it felt like this season guys were chasing all-star appearances and trying to prove themselves. And that's not what it's about where it's about buying into a team concept to win basketball games, to become the best team you can be to win a title. And it felt like this season, uh, like you said the front office got greedy and the, the players got kind of greedy too they they thought they saw this as an opportunity to capitalize on you know winning winning a title the momentum that they built and trying to benefit from that from an individual standpoint and that's never a good formula man i mean the only players that didn't were literally guys who you and you can tell when you watch them on the court. You watch Wiggins, you watch Looney, you watch GP2, you watch Steph. They play the game the right way. They don't they don't play for themselves, they play for the team. And when you play the game the right way, good things happen. Look at Denver. Look at look at a team like the Lakers. Look at Miami, look at Boston. They play the team the right they play the game the right way. They play as a team. They play for one another. They play for each other. They sacrifice.
0: Yeah yeah totally agreed uh and it's sad that ultimately we don't get to appreciate the kind of season that steph curry had at age 35 this is not normal uh for a point guard or a guard uh to continue to play at this level and showed what he showed in game seven um you know just it's sad that we don't get to appreciate that more instead we're talking about all the problems because it ended up not working out it sucks man um but I do want to say that it's incredible that Curry is aging the way he does. Uh, he is and you know, had the season that he just had. I mean, basically 30 points on 50, 40, 90 you know, at age 35. This yeah. is just unheard of. Right?
1: And I think so, next year, I hope that he can be more of a playmaker on the ball because yeah. I think there's some you saw in the Lakers series. Like, it feels like we haven't tapped into that enough. I think on the ball not just as a scorer but as a guy who can you know create for others I feel like that's something that you know we we've seen him do it off the ball the last few seasons but on the ball you we, like his vision and his ability to pick apart defenses can is, is is cannot be understated you know Yeah
0: yeah we can talk about that you know on a on a different episode cuz that's a long topic For sure for
1: sure I um, think we touched on a lot of things um and the things that we missed, I'm sure it'll come up another time, but I thought we did a good job of summarizing, you know, what went wrong this season overall. Yeah. And uh, I appreciate everybody for tuning in. I appreciate you, Jim, again, for uh, for co-hosting.
0: i me, and, Dre, uh, before you finish yeah, we'll off, I'll just go down the list of players that Warriors should keep and okay, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe get rid of, uh, uh-huh. you know, in the offseason. So, obviously, the starting lineup you keep. Um, unless uh, you know, unless you get like a Jalen Brown or something on the other right, end, right, right. where you have a chance to replace Clay with somebody like, because like at this point you have to be objective, right? A clear upgrade. It's, yeah. It sucks, but Clay kind of put put them in this position to have allowed this conversation by the way he played in so many different ways. Right. Um, my preference is to go back and run it one more time, uh, but yeah. with the proper help. But uh, aside from that, right, the starting lineup stays. Um, I think Patrick Baldwin Jr. stays. I think he will develop into even, you know, an even more reliable shooter next year. And uh, Kerr will find a role for him. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Dante's out, he's he's got to be out because yeah, it's, it's just,
1: it's, I thought he was good last year as from, from a regular season standpoint.
0: But, steady vet, steady vet. Uh He was u- very useful in the regular season. They might not have been in the position that they were in at the end of the day yeah. if he if it weren't for his contributions. But we saw his limit. Number one, we saw his limitations. On both and and but and
1: more defense. importantly, he's a guard, and we just need wings. We yes, don't, we don't need guards. Yes, but the know? virtue.
0: Uh, uh, the the biggest reason is you have you don't have him. You have one less guard to worry about in the rotation, right? He's also gatekeeping Dante, I mean, uh, Moses Moody's growth.
1: And that's a big thing too. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: So Dante, he can go Uh Michael Green. I've been out on him for a long time. He's gone. He's
1: gone. Don't oh, worry. They're not going to resign. Him. They're not yeah. going to resign.
0: Him. Uh, Anthony Lamb for the vibes. Get rid of his ass. Um, <laughs> his off court issues like yeah. that energy at the end of the day, whatever the case may be. Yeah. We don't need is, that. It's a fucking distraction. He needs to be out. Um Jordan Poole, out. Yeah. He's gone. I wish him the best. Uh, I wish him the absolute best. I think he can absolutely thrive with a different team and uh, build on his stardom as a starter in this league. And enough with the drama. Enough with you know the thing with the Draymond thing. Uh, enough with the three guard lineups. Enough with uh, depending on a kid who uh, falls under pressure, uh, who falls apart under pressure. Enough. Um, Ryan Rollins out. I don't know uh, yeah, what he in the to fuck go. the point of and by the, way, the roster was.
1: He's actually very talented, but it's overkill. Like this is what I mean when we talk about doubling down on the two timelines concept. Ryan Rollins took up a valuable roster spot, and he is talented, but we don't need him on this team we're winning a championship. We don't need talented 20-year-olds. We need solid, reliable 30 30-year-olds. Yeah, like yeah.
0: Yeah. So you're talking about like six, six to seven different guys, depending on whether the Warriors want to keep it a 14 man rotation. EP2, obviously, we're going to keep, and then right. and right. then
1: Kaminga, Kaminga, you probably want to see go.
0: Yeah, Kaminga, his time with the Warriors seem to be done. If and if nothing's done in the off season, then they might want to move him by yeah. the deadline because he doesn't he doesn't work with the Warriors. He's never going to be a starter for them with Wiggins there. Um, he's never going to find a proper... I mean, they want him at power forward, but the Warriors are going to go and get a backup power forward at this point. They've seen the, the, the detrimental nature of yeah, not having unmatched. enough reliable ties. So yeah. that alone hurts Kuminga's minutes even more going into next year. You already have GP2, who Kerr was already talking about, like, oh, he takes up some of the things that Kuminga can do and whatever, right? So you don't want redundant uh, stuff on the team if they're not going to be properly used. Um, so yeah, I actually like what's his, uh, Aiden Ross. What's his Ty Jerome. I like Ty Jerome, um, uh, as a backup. I think he was amazing, uh, for them when he did play a role 50, 40, 90 for most of the season, you know, that's pretty damn impressive. And I want
1: to make a point. Look at the Lakers roster, right? There are three guards, Lonnie Walker, Austin Reeves, uh, and, and Dennis Schroeder and then D right? There's four guards. They all do different things. Schroeder gets to the rim. Reeves is a playmaker, and he can shoot. Lonnie Walker is a scorer. He can create off the dribble, and D'Angelo Russell is a playmaker. He can make passes and plays, and he can score. But you need versatility. You need guys who do different things. So ultimately, right, um, that's the goal, right? We can't have overlap, and Jordan Poole overlaps what Steph does. He overlaps what Clay does. Kaminga overlaps what Wiggins does. And even Moody kind of overlaps with what Dante does. So this is why, you know, certain guys need to go. Certain guys need to, you know, you know, they'll get a promotion, so to speak, and they'll get more minutes, more opportunity. And and I agree with you. And I think this offseason is going to be a busy one. And I think they're going to definitely look to make a big move because Jordan Poole makes $28 million and, and Kaminga makes about seven. You combine the two, then that's thirty-five million dollars. That's a lot of money to move around. So, um, and then we have our we have a nineteenth overall pick this year.
0: Trade that good, shit.
1: Yeah, we're gonna trade that. So we're, we're gonna have some assets to work with. Um, and is there any other player we missed? I don't think no, so. Don't think the Ryan cool. Rollins thing. I are they gonna, that, Are they gonna cut him? I don't know what the, what. I mean, probably right. They kind of have to.
0: Why? Why can't they just add him as a part of a trade or something?
1: They could. They could. I don't know if that's – Uh. yeah, you're right. I guess they could do that. I, no, I, sure. I agree, though. I don't want him on the team next year because yeah. it's just a waste of a spot. Like, it just – he just – what are we doing here? Like, add, adding a vet who's not even good is better because yeah. at least it's a dude who could be a locker room presence or something, some type of value like Iguodala. Even though Iggy was a waste of a roster spot overall. I don't mind
0: that. I don't mind having a guy like Andre. He actually
1: wasn't. He was coaching up Moody. He was coaching up Kaminga. He was coaching up Wiggins. He was being a presence and being a a good locker room presence. But the problem is when you compound Iggy with Ryan Rollins and Patrick Baldwin Jr. and all these guys, not that Patrick Baldwin's bad or anything, but you know what I mean is that it? then it adds up. And then it's like, well – you only have a few options off the bench now. It's Dante, Poole, Moody, Jermichael, and and Kaminga. And only two of them are really playable at times. Like, Kaminga can't be trusted, as we saw. Moody was trusted. I trusted him. Dante's up and down. Poole is mostly down. And Jermichael had one good game in the playoffs. Like, you see what I'm saying? So we need more balance, versatility, and reliability On this roster next season, and I think it's attainable, and I think that the front office is going to make the effort to do that. So,
0: yeah, I I think um, I didn't kill Steve. I didn't kill Steve Kerr enough in this in this episode, but we've we've covered a lot of details here, and obviously uh, the the sense of urgency is back uh, for everybody, and that's I guess the silver lining in all of this because everybody was on their high horse for way too long i try to warn everybody for a long time that this shit is not going well not
1: gonna end up
0: well but yeah we're here now so
1: all right man now i appreciate you once again uh we went long but we had a lot to discuss and uh yeah so uh anybody can find us on the uh, odyssey app and uh make sure to turn on that auto download feature to get our episodes as soon as they drop appreciate it